Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today we're welcoming Reverend Dr. Irie Lynn Session to the show. Dr. Irie was raised in New York City and now resides in Cedar Hill, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. She's the proud mother of India Liana Session. Dr. Irie holds a BS in social work from Oklahoma Christian University and MDiv with a certificate in Black Church Studies from Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University and a Doctor of Ministry from Colgate-Rochester-Crozier Divinity School, specializing in transformative leadership and prophetic preaching. She's an ordained minister with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, CEO of Dream Big Coaching and Consulting, and also co-pastor at The Gathering Experience, a womanist church in Texas. Okay, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I'm Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm grateful to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Irie Lynn Session. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for this wonderful invitation. Yeah, so we're actually uh, a special recording here today. We're live, we're not live, but recording from Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma as part of the Remind and Renew Conference, and Dr. Irie is here as a presenter so she'll be presenting as we're recording tomorrow. And uh, so grateful to have this conversation. I think I'll give a plug here to Phillips. I think this material will be available after the fact from the conference, as I understand. So if you'd like to learn more about the conference and some of the conversations taking place, we just came from a great presentation from Dr. Scott Thumma, who uh, for listeners had on the pod a couple episodes back. And I'm curious, I want to hear that might influence some of our conversation today because uh, there's, I think there's some overlap that I'm curious and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk on that. Um, but uh, share if you would just kind of about yourself, uh, Dr. Ari, and, and your story. Well, um, you've already uh, shared my bio and uh, I, I would like to add that I have a an amazing, beautifully talented um, millennial daughter, India Liana, and uh, I left her at home with our two cats. Um, so I'm glad to be here today. Um, wow. So what else can I tell you about me? Um, I am a... Um, I am a senior citizen. Hmm. <laughs> I know I don't look like a senior citizen, but I am 64 years old. But I feel amazing. I have um, begun engaging in um, fitness with my daughter, who's a um, who's a fitness coach. Mm -hmm. And so probably for the last uh, seven or eight months, I've been taking my health uh, more seriously and, and working out uh, on a regular basis um, because ministry is physical as yeah. well as spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, talk a, bit, a little bit about your faith journey, what that's looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Well, I 
was uh, theologized in churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. My my church of my baptism yeah. uh, is churches of Christ. And um, I was in my late 40s, not late 40s, early 40s, when I um, transitioned from uh, churches of Christ to the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, which mm-hmm. Phillips Theological Seminary is a uh, institution that is uh, Disciples of Christ. And so my early formation was really more fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Black religious tradition and mm-hmm. very uh, fundamentalist in that in churches of Christ, women were not uh allowed, right, to Mm -hmm. preach or pastor or have any kind of authority or leadership over adult men. Um, And that meant um, our voices were not even considered, really. And the idea of a woman preaching or pastoring was not even a thought I had. You know, it's like if you don't know a thing exists, Mm -hmm. you don't have the conscientization to even imagine it. So, yeah, so my early spiritual life religious upbringing was uh was very restrictive but i didn't know it was restrictive i thought this is just the way it is the the other thing that i grew up uh believing as a member of churches of christ was that um we our group were the only ones who were going to heaven yeah right yeah. so every so all uh, you baptists united methodists non-denominational you know all of y'all were like going to hell hmm. and for me to let me let me back up a little bit yeah. because for me to say um that's what i believed there was something within me right, right that right. pushed back right. against that and I, what I understand that to be now was the Holy Spirit. Amen. But in churches of Christ, at least when I was growing up, we weren't really taught about discerning the Spirit's voice, mm. right? We mm-hmm. weren't taught to 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 listen to um, the Spirit within, right? And so the whole idea of the Holy Spirit um, a- as a um, as a voice that uh God gave us right that Jesus gave us when Jesus departed as our guide was not something that was taught but I sensed it I sensed that there was something I was very uncomfortable mm-hmm. telling people you know that they were going to hell if they weren't in the church of Christ now I did it yeah because I thought right. that's what I was right. supposed right. to do but in my in my body I felt like this is wrong, but I attributed it that to my being afraid. Mm-hmm. You just afraid, you know. You know the mind tricks right. we play when we don't have some other information to counter th- those ways of thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. How uh, uh, you know, I grew up independent Baptist, okay. so I don't think I don't think I necessarily thought all other denominations were going to hell. But like in my context, it was like, you know, like I went to Bible college, right? And it was like, like people, speakers would come in and be like, hey, there's some here who are not saved. Like there's some pastors who are not saved. And you're just like, holy cow, like what's the math here? Like the math is not good on people going to 
<laughs> yeah. And even we, even in the Black religious tradition in Churches of Christ, I remember even being taught that Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. was not a Christian. Wow. Can, wow. Right? Can you imagine that? But yes, that's what we were ta- we were taught. And so my transition, really, when I uh, went back to when I went to seminary, I went to Bright Divinity School for my Masters of Divinity, as you are probably already read. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my I did a research paper on the difference uh, in response to the civil rights movement between Churches of Christ and Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was that research that really helped me to make an ethical decision for myself that I need, it, it was time for me to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and that's, that's when I became uh, affiliated with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Well, well, welcome to the team, right? I don't know who's, <laughs> if you've been on the team longer, we may have been on the team the same amount of time, right? But yeah. yeah, welcome to the team. We're playing for the home team today. Absolutely. <laughs> what are some spiritual practices that are meaningful for you? Well, I, I, I learned early on that writing and journaling was a way for me to excavate a lot of my trauma, um, hurt, pain, and also a strategy for communicating with spirit, hmm. a, a strategy for uh, expressing myself to God and also hearing from God. Mm. So journaling would be for me a a key spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. I also um, discovered that I am an introvert. Now, most people don't believe that, right? But um, but I am. I, I'm an introvert, which means that being in the quiet and away from people. Uh, where I can listen to spirit, where I can listen to my own, um, my own voice, my own thinking, is a spiritual practice for me. So solitude, mm-hmm. right? Quiet. Whether it is sitting by a lake, water is very healing for me. So whether it's sitting by a lake, whether it's being on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean, whatever, um, being being in solitude and being near water are spiritual practices for me. And uh, another one would be what I call uh, sisterhood. I-, I have very a few very close um, sister friends that have really, I believe sisterhood heals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so part of my spiritual practices are connecting with, engaging in conversation with other Black women who are clergy. Some are clergy, some are not, but who are very spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say those are are three spiritual practices, journaling, solitude, being by water, and connecting with my sisters. That's awesome. And uh, I must say, like, as a fellow introvert, I really appreciate you sharing your energy. And we're both going to have to just take some time yes. to recharge by ourselves after this, right? Exactly. Exactly. I could I could tell when I said introvert, I saw your head going up and down. Like, he gets it. He gets it. 
let's uh, let's talk about kind of your call to ministry because I'm very in- intrigued. You know, so let me frame it this way. Like I said, like I grew up uh, fundamental Baptist, mm-hmm. and I remember a few years back, my youth pastor came uh, came into town, and and some of some of the fellow youth group folks were like, "Hey, we should." we should honor him at an event that was taking place. So this was, this was sometime after I had done the whole deconstruction, reconstruction thing into the mainline uh, context where I'm now. And it was an event and, and I got up and said a few words for the youth pastor and I was speaking to this crowd of small crowd of teenagers. And I said, you know, some of you, there's some here who are going to become a youth pastor, pastor, like I was, who would sit in. And as I said those words, I thought about the fact that in that context I was speaking to, only the boys could think about that. So I'm just going to, I want to hear more about your story and uh, how you found your voice and your calling. Well, it was a process, I guess, like for all of us, right? Um, it, it was a process of experiences that I could no longer deny. Mm. I, I remember, even as a little girl, having a well, well, I remember as a little girl being on my grandparents' farm in East Texas, which is where I was born in East Texas, but I grew up in New York City. But I remember being on their farm in the backyard, standing on a tree stump mm-hmm. that overlooked a pin of cows mm-hmm. that, you know, at, at at night, my grandfather would bring the cows in, you know, to the pen and where they'd be safe and protected. But what I w- remember standing on a tree stump, talking very passionately to the cows, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and, and, and. And I would like, if they would move, I would like throw a rock at them. Be still. Listen Mm -hmm. to what I'm saying. And as I grew up, I would have other thoughts, other visions of myself standing in front of crowds of people talking. I didn't know what I was saying, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I was talking to groups of people and, uh, and they were listening to whatever it was I was saying. So with those thoughts in my mind, what I thought was that, oh, I'm probably going to be a public speaker. Yeah. Right. And so I would always, when I would hear quotes or when I would hear sayings, I would like keep a notebook yeah. like yeah. of quotes and sayings. Um, and But it never dawned on me that I would be a preacher, that I would be a pastor. Right. But I knew that, you know. I would be talking to people. I sensed that. And as I got older within the churches of Christ and, you know, getting of marriage age, because I sensed that I was supposed to, and I'm doing air quotes, right? right? That I was supposed to be in some kind of ministry. I had gotten to that point. But because of my limited theological understanding, I thought that I was going to support my husband in his ministry, mm-hmm. right? So, two marriages and divorces later, hmm. I clearly heard Spirit say, 
It wasn't them. It was you. Hmm. And by this time, I am in seminary working on my Master's of Divinity, but I didn't even go to seminary to be a clergy person. Really? I went to seminary to get a PhD in pastoral theology and care so that I could help the male pastors learn how to minister effectively to women who had been abused. Hmm. I have a history of child abuse in the church that I grew up in, or, or or not grew up in, but in the church that I was a part of in Dallas. There were s- several me- women who were survivors of violence. Hmm. My first uh, career. Actually, my second career was in social work. Yeah. And so I worked with populations of women who had experienced sexual abuse and domestic violence. And so that's why I went to seminary. Hmm. But it was in seminary that I got that revelation. Wow. That it was because it was seminary that I went after my second divorce. Um to be a pastoral theologian, right? And so the shift happened there where I realized, oh boy. And even then I resisted it because I could not think about the magnitude of what it meant to preach a sermon every week to people. Yeah. That just felt like such a big responsibility yeah. um, that I didn't think I could do. Yeah. And uh, but eventually I trusted uh, God enough to lean into that. Yeah, I think I want to highlight this point just because it's obviously not an experience that I can. It's counter to my experience as a as a as a white male, a young white male growing up in the church, straight cisgender, who you know it was natural when I expressed interest and gifting toward ministry and preaching. It was a natural transition, mm-hmm. you know, for me. And and as I've read some of your story, you've talked about being silenced mm-hmm. as a young woman. How have you been able to take that experience now and help empower other Black women in yeah. ministry efforts? Well, I do want to say something about that silencing because as you said, for you, it was a normal progression, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and probably you were in some kind of religious context that some person, male pastor, saw gifts within you mm-hmm. and supported you in nurturing that. Right. Well, the same thing kind of happened with me, but the nurturing part didn't take place. Mm. I was at two congregations. The first and these were Church of Christ congregations. In my early 20s, I was in a congregation of the Church of Christ, and the minister actually started calling me preacher girl. Interesting. Now, he was a more progressive. He went, he got his uh, doctor of ministry, which was not something at that time that Church of Christ ministers did. They didn't have that higher level of theological education, but he did. And Dr. Ken Green, I love him to this day. Um, And he saw something in me and he started calling me preacher girl. Hmm. And he would give me opportunities to lead classes. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's still the churches of Christ. And at that time, you know, women still don't do things. But he he saw. Well, I, I left that congregation. Uh, because there were some other things going on. Uh, my divorce 
my second divorce happened there and it just wasn't a healthy place for me to be. And so I left that congregation, went to another church of Christ. The minister saw, I believe he saw the giftings and he did everything he could do to shut them down. Wow. Um, so I just wanted to say yeah, that. So yeah. that was a part of the silencing. Like yeah. the, but but he but I know he saw hmm. in me, but he was not willing to nurture that in wow. me. I didn't even see it right. at that time. That's it. Uh, what happened was I, I got an opportunity to lead some Bible studies for women when I came to that church. The Bible studies that they had already had for women were not really well attended. Mm-hmm. When I took over. The first Bible study that we had, it was wall-to-wall women. Women from other churches in Dallas were coming. Mm -hmm. And so he must have seen, like, he saw that. Getting a little nervous. And like, no, we got to stop this. So eventually I left that congregation because I was completely shut down. Mm -hmm. And I just could not see myself giving my tithes to a congregation that did not support me. Right. Um, And so I left. And shortly thereafter, I went to seminary. And what helped me get my voice was womanism, Hmm. was womanist uh, thought. I had a uh, I was introduced to womanism at Bright Divinity School through um, a womanist ethicist by the name of uh, Stacy Floyd Thomas, Dr. Stacy Floyd Thomas, who is now at Vanderbilt School of Divinity. And so that womanism. I say saved my righteous mind because it helped me um, understand patriarchy. Yeah. It helped me understand the intersection uh, of uh, being a black woman um, and uh, class and patriarchy and white supremacy. It helped me understand all of that. Um, and, And so it was through... Um, the 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 framework of womanism that helped me find my voice and, and reinterpreting mm-hmm. right through that womanist lens because everybody interprets scripture through a lens yeah yeah right, right. everybody does yeah uh, but womanism we name it mm-hmm. right right as as some have said right like the white males we tend to not name our our lens, right? It just, exactly. It just is what it's it is. It's the default, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, do you mind talking a little bit just about womanism for those who are unfamiliar? Absolutely. So womanism is a, what I would call a embodied uh, framework for thinking, doing, and being. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. So it centers the lived experiences of Black women as important, as central, as necessary. And so through a womanist lens, um, I engage scripture with questions. Mm-hmm questions where I'm looking for certain things. I'm looking for, in the biblical text, I'm looking to see where does the power lie in this text Mm. and who has it? Mm -hmm. Who's silent in this text? Where are the women in this text, right? And then look at texts like, oh, Vashti, right, in the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And, And 
and remember her in ways that are empowering rather than um, problematic. Yeah. Right. Um, And so for me, womanism is not just about how I think theologically, but it's how I live. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because one of the tenets of womanism is something uh, that that uh, that we call traditional communalism. Right. Where womanists are concerned with the survival and wholeness of entire people, not just black women. Right. So there's this idea of and I'm going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow, this idea of Ubuntu. Right. I am because we are. Mm -hmm. And so it is 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 concerned about everyone thriving, particularly persons who are on the margins. And so when I interrogate the biblical text, when I read it, when I study it, I'm looking for the marginalized voice Mm -hmm. to bring that voice to the center and want to see what do they have to say? Right. How have they been misunderstood in the text? Right. Um, so that's that's a, a little snippet of, you know, and it and it came about womanism became a um a framework through the work of Alice Walker, right, in her book In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. Mm-hmm. She defines the term womanism um, as uh, a, a black feminist or feminist of color, right? And she delineates like four areas, right? Um, and, and many young black women or, or black women my age remember being called womanish, right? Mm-hmm. When we were growing up wanting mm-hmm. to know more than is good for oneself, uh, right? Mm-hmm. But we that's a good thing because that says that we are inquisitive, we are curious, we ask questions, right? Yeah. We, we we engage critically with life, right? Um, and so during that time, uh, in, the, in the late 60s, early 70s, there were some women at Union Theological Seminary, Dolores Williams, Katie Cannon, um, Jacqueline Grant, mm-hmm. um, and oh my goodness, one more, I can't think of her name right off the top of my head, but they were in uh, classes with uh, Dr. James Cone, okay. who, who is by all accounts the father of black liberation theology. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, now wait a minute. So you're doing all this liberation, uh, black, the- theology, black, black uh, liberation theology, but where are the women? Yeah. Where are the voices of the yeah. black women? And so uh, through Alice Walker's work, they coined, uh, began um, um, thinking about writing about womanism in that respect. So it's different in many ways from feminism, particularly white feminism, mm-hmm. um, that um, was not really concerned about the struggles of racism mm-hmm. that black women were experiencing, whereas womanism does that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So you've taken this this passion and this experience with, with womanism, and it's kind of Tell the story of how The Gathering came to be, this church centered on womanism, as I understand it. Yes. Um, Well, in 2017, myself and a few others, we had this idea of having um, a service where the focus was womanist preaching. In the Black religious tradition, in many churches around um, the Easter, Good Friday, we have what's called the seven last sayings of of Jesus, right? And so so we have the idea of let's have a womanist seven last words, and let's invite seven womanist preachers um, to preach the womanist seven last words. And we 
um, we held that service at a largely white congregation in Dallas mm-hmm. um, to a packed house. Wow. And after that service, people kept coming up to us asking, where can we hear some more of this preaching wow. right here? Wow. And uh, and we was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere in this city, right? <laughs> Not on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and and. And all all of us, uh, the three of us who put this together, well, at the time it was it was just a couple of us who put this together mm-hmm. with this idea. Yeah, we had gone through some challenges in our own um, church context. Yeah. I um, had been uh, pastoring a church um, that. Um, frankly said they didn't want me anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and had gone through that and I was pretty much done, yeah. you know, done with pastoring and being a church. Um, but I would still get invitations, right, to preach at different places. So after that woman is seven last words, then I had an opportunity to preach in New York City at a church. And again, I keep hearing um, this woman is, where do we hear some more woman is preaching? And then we began having some conversations about um, what would it look like if we had a space, if we had a place in Dallas where we preached regularly um, and the community could engage with Woman is Preaching. And so three of us, uh, myself, Dr. Camila Hall Sharp, and um, another uh, sister, oh my goodness, every time I get ready to think about her name, it I lose it, oh no. Um, but anyway, so we began talking about uh, planning a church, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what we did. And, but... Let me say that. Let me yeah. let me back up yeah. because it wasn't a church at first. Okay, it was just we were going to have a, a space where right. we could offer the preaching, and we had a, a church building that opened up their space to us. We were going to, and we did begin having our services in the fellowship hall. Mm-hmm. Um, people start they they were coming, um, and then around December, that was October of 2017, December came and we had to move our services from the fellowship hall to the sanctuary because the congregation was having another event. Okay. Well, when we did that, the people who were coming loved being in the sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we took a survey of the congregation and they said that we want to have our services in the sanctuary from now on. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. Um, We started having our services in the sanctuary and that's when we began calling ourselves a womanish church. Hmm. Um, Prior to that, we we were the gathering. Period. And then we became the gathering, a womanish church, because we wanted whoever came uh, to be clear about what we stood for. We had three social justice priorities, racial equity, LGBTQIA plus inclusion, and dismantling what we call PMS, patriarchy, misogyny, and sexism. Uh, And those are still our social justice priorities to this day. And so it's, it's, Telling the Jesus story through a womanist lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, what a, I, I don't know. I imagine you probably reflected on this, but I'm just thinking hearing your story about how, you know, the work of the spirit of like your silence. And then like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm making assumptions here, but like the spirit, as I'm hearing it, like, no, her voice needs to be heard. Her voice needs to be heard. 
her voice needs to be heard. I mean, is that fair? Oh, wow. I think that's fair. I never thought about it like that, but I do think that's fair. Yeah. Um, and and I would say that it's the spirit because so many opportunities have come to me that I, I've i never had to go looking for any. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's a way for me to know that this is the work of the spirit. Yeah. This is not something that I have manufactured. Yeah. Right? The spirit created the opportunity and the spirit sustains it. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to shift gears here just a little bit. All right. Uh, especially based on our time. Um, so again, as we're recording this, we're at the conference and we just heard a presentation uh, from Dr. Thumma about... Doc, oh, uh-huh. Dr. Thumma, yes. Right, about um, some of just the data. And, and a couple things stood out to me that I want to hear your perspective on. One is he talked about what I'll term like this change fatigue. Um, and I was just thinking about, and he kind of alluded to it, this idea that like, there's still so much change that needs to happen. Um, yet there is clearly this, this change fatigue or the sense of like, we're tired of change. Um, when you talk about, you know, the, the priorities of your church, uh, the gathering experience, of racial equity, LGBT inclusion, dismantling patriarchy. Like, I, I think it's fair to say those priorities need to come to more churches. Um, I, I don't know. This is a big question, and maybe it's too big for this this context. But it, do you have some thoughts on what you hope to see, what you'd like to see, what 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 advice you might even give to to churches or pastors? Well, without getting into my lecture tomorrow, (laughs) because a lot of this I am addressing. Um, You know, I think what I would say and what I was actually thinking about is one of the things I was thinking about as I was listening to Dr. Thelma was, you know, congregations need to have conversations about what they really want Mm. and what they really believe. Because we're we're thinking and we're talking about congregations changing, but do they really want to? Yeah. Because you can't make people change. No, I tried. That they don't what they don't want to. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I discovered in the church that I was pastoring before. The gathering, mm-hmm. and by the way, I just thought of the other sister's name. Yeah, give her a shout out. I'm so sorry, Doctor Yvette Blair Lavallee uh, was uh, a part of the three of us, and she's no longer with us. She mm-hmm. left to go get her doctorate and do some other things, but mm-hmm. uh, we could not have planted the gathering without Doctor Yvette Blair Lavallee. Um, uh, but we, we, you know, we can't make people change it's got to they've got to want to yeah and so we spend a lot of time um miss exegeting people Hmm. and that's that's one of the things i learned from the church that i pastored prior to the gathering is that sometimes congregations 
present themselves one way on paper. Right. Um, but when you and and they may even believe some things about themselves. Yeah. Until they're presented with these opportunities to actually transform and change. Yeah. And then that's when it's discovered, no, we really don't want that. Mm. We want we want growth, yeah. numerical growth, but we don't want to do, we don't want to sacrifice right. things that we'd have to sacrifice in order to make that happen. And so there has to be a level of honesty yeah. and self-reflection, right? And 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 really understanding who a given congregation is not who they say they are. You know, it's like when when Jesus asked Peter and the disciples, "Who do people say that I, no. the Son of Man, am?" Yeah, right. Who are they saying? Right. Not not um not who who do you believe? But but what are they saying about who I am? And is it true? Hmm. So we have to turn that in inward, like. Who who am I? What do I really believe? What do I really value? Yeah. You know, do I value the performance over the praxis of ministry? Right? So I think that's the first place to do some some self-assessment mm-hmm. of these congregations. And and you and it has to be done in such a way where the people feel really safe and comfortable yeah, telling their truth. That's good. Because it's really okay. Because one of the best pieces of advice someone gave me, she said, God calls a pastor to a church for one or two reasons, to help it to grow or to help it to die. Oh, that's good. That's good. You, you as a pastor have to figure out which one, which one? Because it's okay to die. Yeah. It it really is okay. Dying is a part of the cycle of life. And so some congregations, we have to help die well. Yeah. But we but but we're trying to we're trying to resuscitate mm-hmm. congregations yeah. that are ready. To die. Oh boy, I know that hurts. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. This is a good word. It's true. So how do we help them? You want to keep doing the same thing? Okay, I'll help you do that. I'll help you do that. We can just maintain the status quo here. Mm-hmm. And in five years, ten years, this is where we're gonna be. Yeah. Right? Um, and so that's that's what I realized that I did not properly exegete hmm. the the membership. I had I my expectations of them were unrealistic. Boy, that's good. That's good. And so when you when you when you don't have the realistic expectations, then there's frustration right. on the part of the pastor. Right, right. Because I'm doing all of this stuff. We've got, you know, we've got, we've increased our young adults. Yeah. But when we have the young adults on the board, you won't listen to them. 
So you really don't want, you know. So that that would be one of the first things to, to have a real good assessment. One of the things that we did when we were considering going back into the church building after um, the emergency mm-hmm. part of COVID, right. because COVID is not gone. We are not post-pandemic, yeah. right? We're post-emergency. Right. right. But, but so when we did that, we created a survey for our ministry partners. And I'll say ministry partners because we don't call people who come to our services virtually or, or online members, yeah. right? They're ministry partners. And that has been the language we use from day one. Mm-hmm. And so we surveyed our ministry partners to, to see what has changed for you theologically and spiritually as a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's, what's shifted in the way you think about church attendance? Uh, how have your values changed? Right? Because we, we're wanting to, to look at the truth to help us to know how to move forward. And because of what we gathered from our ministry partners, we realized that, okay, so some things have shifted. What we need to do, because, and, and most still value in-person worship, mm-hmm. but they don't value it enough to come every, every week. Right. 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 And neither did the pastors. Yeah. Neither did we. And that's the truth. And so... What we do now is we're in person twice a month, but we're virtual every week. Mm -hmm. But we always had, from day one, we always had a strong virtual presence. Yeah. Right? And so we we built out more of a virtual component. But that's because we took the time to find out what the people that we were serving value. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. So let me, speaking of serving people, you have some experience as a social worker. Yes. Uh, I'm kind of a social worker now myself in my professional context as we're speaking. I'm curious what your thoughts are from your 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 experience in social work, how pastors might, what, what pastors could learn from social work and better apply to their ministry. Well, Social Work 101 is you meet people where they are, hmm. not where you want them to be. Because back to your change. Or where you hope they are, but where they are. And that informs the way I do ministry, right? It, it is understanding people, the people that God has um, equipped me to serve, mm-hmm. is knowing them. And that means that we have to be in a relationship, right? And that means that I have to create an atmosphere, an environment where people feel safe enough, Mm -hmm. right, to speak their truth Hmm. and to live their truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that I even even had that mindset raising my daughter. Mm -hmm. I knew um, as as a person who did not have, in many ways, that freedom as a child growing up, wanted to give that to my daughter. I 
I never wanted to shame her because shame causes people to hide. Yeah, it does. I, Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. The first humans. It causes people to hide. Uh, and so I knew for her, I had to create an environment where she felt safe to tell me the truth and to be her authentic self. And and that is exactly what I have now that my daughter's 30, right? That's what, that's what we built. Mm-hmm. That's the same way I passed her, hmm. right? Um, and so I, I think that is, that's the place where I would say you've got to cultivate that environment where people feel safe enough to tell you their truth. And, and, so, and, and it doesn't involve shaming them. Well, this is good stuff. I want to respect your time here. So there's a lot of more questions I want to ask you, but for sake of your time and mine, let's let's take a quick break and come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Reverend Dr. Irie Lynn Session. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, so these closing questions, like I mentioned, you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. If you're Pope for a day, <laughs> what might that look like for you? Well, if I'm Pope for a day, um, I'm I'm telling uh, I'm telling the Catholic Church that two things. I'm telling them that LGBTQIA plus people are loved by God, and we ought to treat him treat them as such, mm-hmm. which means that they can be that they're not condemned to hell. Yeah, right. That God made them that way, mm-hmm. and that uh, there is a place for them to fulfill their callings in the body of Christ, whatever that is. Yeah. The second is like unto it for women. Mm. Uh, women can be priests. Yeah. Women can be pope. Well, there you go. There that's you a, go. That's a good day. That's a great day. That's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> a, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? The people that came to my mind are not necessarily Christian figures. Sure. They are found in the Old Testament. Yeah. I would want to have some conversation with Queen Vashti. Okay. Uh, I would want to know what it was that enabled her to say no to King Artaxerxes. And I would want to know what was the risk? What was mm. the what was the price she paid? Yeah. Because the text doesn't necessarily say right, what right. the price was. Right. I would want to know what the price was that she was willing to pay for that. Yeah. Uh, and then I would want to have a conversation with Delilah. Oh. Yeah, Delilah. Um, I, Delilah or Jezebel, either yeah. one of those. Yeah. Um, I, I would want to have a conversation with Delilah because Delilah has been given a bad rap. Yeah, she has. Right, and I write about Delilah in in in, in a book that I wrote called "Badass Women of the Bible," um, and the title of my chapter on Delilah is "You Don't Own Me." Huh. Um. And so I would want to, I would want to, I would like to like get on a podcast with Delilah, <laughs> you know, and have her mm-hmm. set the record straight. Yeah. Right. Um, and with Jezebel, because this is three, right? With Jezebel, I, I think, yeah, she was a bad girl. 
At the same time, I see Jezebel through a trauma lens. Yeah. Yeah. Because think about it. So she was forced to marry a man she did not respect. Yeah. What was his name? Ahab. That's right. You're 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 good with these biblical names here. I can't remember. Yeah, she she was forced to marry a man that she did not respect so that her dad, right, could have these trade routes. Uh-huh. Right? It was an economic thing. She was really prostituted right. by her dad and her husband, right? right. Um she had her own religion. Mm-hmm. She had her own, you know, and, and so I would I would want Jezebel to set the record straight too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thanks so for sharing that. I'd love to meet them. Yeah. You know? I, I like the idea of like a, a podcast with that too. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Oh, man. I think, oh, I hate to say this. I think history will remember the church's complicity hmm. in In fascism, uh, the church's complicity in having a conspiracy of silence Mm -hmm. around justice issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully, they'll remember that there was a remnant, Mm. that there were voices who did the best they could under the circumstances to speak truth to power and not just speak truth to power, but to, but to mitigate change and transformation in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How about hopes? What do you hope for the future of Christianity? I hope that we will live love. That's it. Okay. Got to write that down here. Live love. Simple yet profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where can people connect with you uh, if they'd like to get your book, that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, well, I'm on all the socials um, at, at Rev Dr. Irie, R-E-V. D-R-I-R-I-E on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X. Yeah. Same uh, same handle, same social media handle. And my books, I have three, are all on Amazon. So if you put my name, Irie Lynn Session, it's Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, Session, no S on the end of Session, Yeah. Um, they'll come up. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Thank you so much and also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. 
Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.